0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Climate Matters, an episode where I'm going to try and do justice to the amazing Our Forests Conference, o Tartal Nahiri, run by Pure Advantage and Tane's Tree Trust in Wellington at the end of October. I'm Lindsay Wood from climate strategy company Resilience Limited, and Climate Matters is brought to you by Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access radio station. Fresh FM broadcasts in Blenheim on 88.9, Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, the Nelson CBD on 107.2, and across the Nelson-Tasman region on 104.8. It's also streamed to the planet on freshfm.net, and podcasts of Climate Matters and other locally produced shows are available through freshfm.net and through the accessmedia.nz app. Well, as I mentioned, we were going to have a look at the amazing conference, Our Forests, that was run by Tarnes Tree Trust and Pure Advantage. And the nature of it was there were 50 outstanding experts uh, over two days. And so it's impossible for me to do a, a serious summary of all of that in the time available. And in fact, the Our Forest special that went out on the 29th of October. That's the Climate Matters special focused really on a whole lot of little take-home messages from different speakers. Some of them were big-picture ones. There was quite a lot about biodiversity, more than I had expected, but on barriers to developing good indigenous reforestation, and then some quite important and thought-provoking food-for-thought items. So let's get into it. And um, no particular order, but I'll give you a little bit of an overview, first of all, The keynote speaker was Dr. Tim Flannery, a very well-known Australian biologist and a celebrated climate activist champion. And uh, Tim Flannery referred in some detail to what he termed as New Zealand's glorious forests. And it really reminded me, in fact, it, it lifted my perception of our forests. And he was commenting on how they are on a world class when you look at their biodiversity, their potential to sequester carbon. Um, the point being that apparently, and I didn't know this, but, but that forests of our type in temperate zones are among the best carbon stores in the world. And so that's incredible. But on the other hand, um, there, were, there were concerns as well. For example, a lot of people doing wonderful and innovative science and practical work and so on, but they're constantly impeded either by obsolete or ponderous government policy or by obstructive businesses who are defending the status quo. And then there's also the question of the wonderful passion of the champions of rejuvenating our landscapes with native forests, people doing wonderful work in uh, in the Cacklands, on Banks Peninsula, up in Northland. So again, a a terrific uh, selection of things there. And then also in the spirit of forestry, uh, I've got a little question, a riddle. No, not a riddle, but just a brain teaser. What day is being rejuvenated as well? What's a day that used to be celebrated regularly every year? It's gone into a little bit off the radar and now Is being brought back onto the radar. We'll have the answer to that at the end of the show. So let's have a look at the first a few big picture take home messages. Tikapunga Dews. He it works with Napu Atani, and that's the National Maori Forestry Association. And he had to say any forest is better than any pasture anywhere from a climate perspective. Any forest is better than any pasture anywhere from a climate perspective. Now Kapunga Dews was in fact using that to illustrate the fact that his case was that we needed to use exotic plantations as a transition between pasture and actually getting really good indigenous cover. And the reason for that is that there's a struggle to make indigenous forest economic at the present time. So his point was to to use exotic forests not as a permanent solution but as a transition that enabled an economic momentum to the development of indigenous forests. Uh, Tim Flannery and one of his other messages in his keynote address, and it was echoed by several other people, the days of offsetting are over. I.e., we must not think in terms of still doing our climate polluting activities and then buying a few trees to compensate for that. That won't cut it. We must do two very hard things at the same time, said Flannery, cut emissions 8% every year and extract carbon dioxide from the air. And then if we go on from there, the only mechanism we currently have to extract carbon dioxide at scale are trees and other vegetation matter, but trees essentially in the context, especially of this conference. On the other side of the coin to Kapunga, is Dame Anne Salmon, the celebrated biologist uh, and great champion of climate action. And Dame Anne had this to say, Exotic forests are among the worst adaptation trade-offs. Avoid ecosystem changes that are negative for biodiversity. So she's uh, speaking a little bit on the opposite side, not very much in favour at all of actually developing exotic forests as an interim measure. As I mentioned before, there was more discussion on biodiversity than I'd expected and some very good cases made for the fact that we absolutely have to preserve our biodiversity, even if it's just out of self-interest, but let alone from the fact that that's so much of the richness of where we're where we're at. In fact, uh, Tim Flannery went so far to say Biodiversity shapes the world that we know as it is. And when you think about it, that's true. The way our forests are and our oceans are, and even we are, is a product of biodiversity. Jason Preble was a Hawaiian uh, ecologist, and he, had, uh, he gave an excellent talk, and he used a Hawaiian proverb to highlight the value of biodiversity. And the Hawaiian proverb goes like this, a canoe is an island, an island, a canoe. And his point is that we should treasure a country's resources just like we should treasure the resources on a canoe on a long voyage. A canoe is an island, an island is a canoe. Thank you for that, Jason Preble. One of the speakers put up a slide with a whole lot of information about the special proportion of New Zealand's indigenous species That are found nowhere else on earth that are unique to New Zealand. And I'll just skim through those quickly. 72% of our birds are unique to New Zealand. 84% of our vascular plants, that's ferns and the like, land and freshwater plants, are unique to New Zealand. Insects, 81% of all of our insects both island and freshwater are unique to New Zealand. Even marine mammals, 7% of them are unique to New Zealand. That's incredible. Whereas if we look at freshwater fish, 88% of freshwater fish are unique to this country. And if we get on to reptiles and frogs and bats and so on, 100% of them are unique to New Zealand. In other words, every one of our native bats and reptiles and so on Every one is found only in New Zealand. Tim Flannery put an interesting perspective on that, and the numbers are going from memory, but it was roughly that New Zealand separated from Australia about 80 million years ago. Up till then, we had a relatively common fauna and flora. But at that point, the divergence meant that the rest of the world pretty well developed with major mammal species whereas New Zealand developed with bird species as the, the primary species. And therefore, that made a huge difference. It accounts for our wonderful bird life, how many are threatened, but it also uh, explains some of the differences between New Zealand and the rest of the world. Here's another factor of, uh, of biodiversity. Dr. David Rhodes gave an excellent talk, and one of his comments was, Biodiversity credits are a fantastic idea and play to the strength of native forestry. So we, we're we used to the idea of the emissions trading scheme and you might call them carbon credits, people getting paid for storing carbon in their forestry. The, the concept of biodiversity credits comes in there as well, saying, hey, looking after biodiversity is as important as looking after carbon. We should be giving credits for those. And then that starts to make sense in terms of people who are taking measures that will enrich biodiversity, even if it doesn't generate quite as much timber as it would, say, just with a pure carbon sequestration view of it. So biodiversity credits are a fantastic idea, play to the strengths of native forestry. And then a saying that cropped up in in a discussion about New Zealand, I think it was Dame Anne Salmond made this reference, is New Zealand is the world's smallest continent or largest island from a biodiversity perspective. And she was quoting Jared Diamond, the celebrated author, he wasn't at the conference, New Zealand is the world's smallest continent or largest island from a biodiversity perspective. In other words, little old New Zealand is a standout in terms of its biodiversity richness. And that's something that I hadn't fully realised before this conference. Going on to barriers to developing good indigenous forest, what are the things that get in the way of it? Well, uh, I was most impressed by dr. david Hall, who was a who was talking on things like systems change and so on. he's a He's a doctorate and researcher at Auckland University of Technology. And David said, "Be careful who you listen to." And he quoted the results of a survey where they asked a whole lot of people, Where are the barriers to continuous cover forestry? Now, for those not so sure, continuous cover forestry is where you extract one tree at a time and essentially leave the forest canopy intact rather than the clear felling, which is the norm with our pine plantations and some other um, forestry work in New Zealand. So the question was, where are the barriers to continuous cover forestry? And the, the important thing that he said was there was a huge difference in perception of what the barriers were between the people who were already running big forests and the people who wanted to develop indigenous forests. And essentially the people already running them saw the barriers as as things that would let them keep going the way they were, <laughs> whereas the indigenous people were saying, oh no, we, we've got all the knowledge we need, we just need the support. And in fact, David Hall discussed the fact that we need to have just the level, right level of disruption of the existing businesses to make space for innovation. And I thought that was a terrific concept. Anyway, what else is getting in the way of large scale indigenous reforestation? Well, the government is in a way, um, it was quoted that way back in the 1980s, they dropped the ball when they got rid of all the scientists doing wonderful forestry research which is a a situation they've had to reverse since then. Um, The Emissions Trading Scheme encourages the misallocation of capital. The Emissions Trading Scheme encourages the misallocation of capital. And then the Forest Act still is a disincentive, costly, uncertain and onerous to implement. Large corporations, as I was touching on before, and here's a quote Large corporations with status quo to protect are a barrier to innovation and developing continuous cover and other good indigenous forest. People are. Nature has regenerated hundred and forty four thousand hectares of forest by itself, and humans have removed one hundred and four thousand of those. I can't give you the time scale on that, I'm sorry. And there's even a big economic imbalance. there were some interesting figures put up about how much local indigenous or native timber we use as to make products out of and how much we import. And we import 10 times as much decorative and finished timber than we do from our own forests. And the final thing on barriers, declaring something is significant isn't going to save its biodiversity. It needs active management. So declaration is just the start. Moving forward now on to food for thought. If you get it started, the birds will do the work. That was Adam Thompson talking about how to get an indigenous forest going. And David Bergen echoed that seed islands will let natural drones, that's the birds, do the hard work for us. And here's a thought-provoking one from Warwick Sylvester. Remember when blaming Brazil for deforestation, We did it here a long time ago, and he pointed out that humans over the last thousand years have removed forests from some 60% of all of New Zealand's land area. And then the Minister Stuart Nash echoed the same as Tim Flannery, planting trees is no replacement for reducing carbon emissions. But a salutary thought here from one of the people on the panel Around 26%, that's around a quarter of all of our original native forest is on sheep and beef farms. So let's not be too quick to condemn all the, all the sheep and beef farms when they hold that much of the, uh, of the original forestation. Of course, it might be down in difficult gullies and the rest, but that's still important. Now, a hotter tip for a cooler planet. Well, have a guess what this, uh, this episode's hot tip is. Plant trees, of course but make sure you plant the right ones in the right places and then also look after them. There's a lot said about how many planting regimes were disappointing because they weren't properly looked after down the track. And then finally, what's the answer to the the question, what is the day we're trying to rejuvenate? Well, of course, it's Arbor Day. So on that note, I'm going to finish off now and thank you very much for your company. I do hope that I can share with you later on a link to all the recordings of the wonderful talks because at the moment that link has not been publicised. I'll get it to you when I can. And in the meantime, Lindsay Wood signing off. Kia kaha for the climate.